This recording is of Kiona Benton's special school board meeting dated August 5th, 2020, and it is concerning the reopening of the school and what their plan is. The short and skinny is that for the first quarter of the school year for 2020-2021, it will be online learning. I have to apologize. I lost some four and a half minutes of Pete Peterson's uh, conversation or dialogue in the very beginning due to technical difficulties. This recording is done by the BC Podcast. Well, I see it's 630 you think the gang's all here? Hey, four out of five. Okay, well, this brings to open the special meeting of the school board, Kai B, um, 52. So we'll begin with the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States, United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, well, our... Our uh, meeting begins with the first order of business, or the third order of business is the 2021 fall reopening plan. I think we've pretty well listened enough to our governor and leaders otherwise that we can go into our own opinions and, and begin. So Pete, I guess we'll turn it over to you. Well, thank you, Dale. I appreciate it. And I certainly appreciate everybody's uh, attention to this. Um, this was a, I don't want to say a hastily called meeting, but, um, needless to say in the past few days, um, some things have changed, which I think necessitated a move to guarantee one of the things that the board was, was very keen on. And that was trying to make a decision as quickly as possible for the benefit of our students, our staff, our community, um, and to get into some of the detail work. Um, so earlier today, um, I forwarded the board a one-page uh, summary draft of a reopening plan that were simply based on the Department of Health and um, the Benton Franklin Department of Health uh, guidelines as well as OSPI guidelines. Um, as you know, um, in fact, some of the questions that I've received over the past day some of which were answered today at three o'clock after, of course, I'd sent all the information to the board uh, through the governor, uh, his press conference that also had Superintendent Reichdahl as well as uh, the head of the Department of Health for the state of Washington. So um, what I wanna do is basically go over uh, what is currently, and I can't stress this enough, a draft of our reopening plan based on those guidelines and the first thing I would do, of course, is, is to reinforce completely from the get-go without even saying anything else is um, these items are still subject to bargain. Uh, we have uh, multiple bargaining units that are impacted. Um, so while there are some details that I have, have put in is we've had to make, a, had to make some, some decisions to move forward. Please understand that these are subject to change. That's why it said draft in the title. And uh, certainly the devil will be in the details and that's going, going to involve a lot more people than we're able to, to help me out on this. So uh, the main thing that I want to start with is, is kind of backing up a little bit to July 28th. Um, as you know, several of our, our close neighbors um, on the 28th of July um, or thereabouts, we're having board meetings and um, we're making decisions based on inferences and rumors of what was coming down from the Department of Health. 
And I think it was a, a very good decision on the part of the board to, to wait for some more significant guidance from the Department of Health because, and I say this for the benefit of several members of the board as well as, as anyone else, as much as um, we would like to say that this is quote unquote a local decision, this, is, this was not going to be a local decision. Um, this is recommendations from Olympia through our county department of health, and certainly they've they've had their share of input, um, and it was they who in, who indicated to the entire region what their recommendations are on July 28th. So, in short, uh, the Benton Franklin County Department of Health has issued guidance on July 28th, and since um, recommend highly recommending that all school districts in the ESD 123 that reside within Benton and Franklin County do open if possible in a distance learning model. Um, as we've received more information, um, the guidelines set from the state actually were released today as far as what constitutes being considered in a high risk county, because of course this is a county by county mandate, it is not a statewide uh, mandate as it was in March, uh, directed by the governor. Um, the, the precipice for being considered a high risk activity county is any time that we have uh, an infection rate of COVID-19 at or greater than 75 infections over a two week period per 100,000 um, folks in the, in the region. And at the time that this was issued on July 28th, uh, Benton County had over a 360 per 100,000 per 100,000 resident um, diagnosis rate. And Franklin County, because it is a bi-county uh, regional Department of Health, they reported both. Uh, Franklin County's was over 600. So that was the impetus before. before so that was the impetus for the Department of Health to issue its guidance recommending um, distance learning. Um, one of the things that that we've come to understand is one of the more significant um, barriers is that there, of course, anytime you have decisions like this, there are many back and forths and what ifs and things like that. Um, the draft. Um, plan that, that I have outlined uh, describing a distance learning model as a stage A of a four-stage possibility um, will be best suited, in my opinion, for this district to, uh, and this is entirely within the board's purview, but my recommendation would be to set a, a date of uh, the end of first quarter for re-evaluation as opposed to a monthly um, or even weekly attempt to try and look at this because quite frankly, that puts our students and our staff and our community in a bind of what's gonna happen next week? What's gonna happen next week? Well, what's gonna happen then? Um, that does not mean that if, um, if our rates and guidelines that say, whatever program, whatever plan that we're in to begin the school year, that's the way it's gonna cons consist of for that quarter and uh, eliminate that possibility of a whole bunch of moving around and such. <clears throat> Obviously based on that, we're going to be needing to do some data collection from our families and from our students to determine uh, which of our students want which of our options, which ones are best. And then for some of our students, it will require meetings um, with staff members to make sure that we're meeting the needs of their, their legally binding um, IEPs or, or 504 plans, things of that nature. So we want to take all of that into account. Um, and, and quite frankly, we've got, you know, three and a half weeks to be able to do that. Um, any of the students in either of those scenarios with a, a virtual uh, online curriculum, which is our own through our own teaching staff or a third party curriculum that is led by our staff. Um, with, with, with any of those, um, obviously that is a free service to anyone who lives within Cuyahoga and Benton City School District boundaries um, to do either the online or the virtual online. Um, and of course, then when you get down to our attendance and grading, you know, um, even as, as 
much as today for anyone who is who is watching the governor and and superintendent Reichdahl speak you know up to this point we've been given very much a directive that there's going to be some type of a daily attendance requirement um, whether that's through a virtual system whether through its logging into asynchronous video whether that is uh, check-ins via uh, computer, email, phone call, whatever the case may be. And quite frankly, one of the ponderings that I have and one of the reasons that I'm in a probably a lesser state of sure, sureness than I was earlier today is because um, the superintendent of public instruction referred to regular attendance. And as, as you all know, having been involved with education, either as a parent or as a member of the district, daily attendance and regular attendance are two entirely different concepts. And so those, quite frankly, are things that we're going to have to get clear, clearance or clarity on uh, for us to be able to implement that system. Uh, the same was less true of grading. Um, everything that we've been told up to this point um, is that we will return to traditional grading. That's our recommendation. That is our request from staff. That's our request from, from community members and parents. Um, again, as we found out last year, OSPI can have differences of opinion and a quick 24 hours can make some changes. Uh, again, that's why this is a fluid document. And even the resolution that the board is going to be, to be asked to uh, sign off on on our regular Monday meeting is is fluid in that respect. So um, with that, um, there's a lot of work still to be done. I obviously, um, you know, I started out by saying that that nothing of this draft is absolutely set in stone. Um, and there's still bargaining to be done on every level uh, regarding impact of employment, as well as making sure that um, that everyone feels safe coming back because uh, regardless of the situation, we're going to have to open up classrooms to allow teachers access. And I want to make sure that that our prime imperative, as we stated multiple times at our last regular board meeting, is the safety of our students and staff has to be at the top of our list. So given those factors, and obviously I've spoken to the board several times about our our abundance of or personal protective equipment, things of that nature. Um, you know, we're we're pretty set in that regard, but we still need to make sure that that we've uh, got common ground with all of our bargaining units before uh, we start going too crazy. So, um, if this sounds or looks similar, um, like I said, while the state has given us, you know these recommendations of the under the guise of local control the simple fact is the departments of health by county and region as directed from the olympia office are making their recommendations and quite frankly um we don't have a lot of say in what we do but we have a lot of say in how we do it and uh, with that i have no doubts that that our staff is more than more than up to that task and certainly, um, and obviously there were, there will be some changes considering the, the actions that we were forced into in very short notice at the, in the March and April of this year when things were just happening to us and we didn't, we, we barely had time to react much less be proactive. Um, this will be a bit of a different situation. And, and I know that um, given the opportunity our staff and uh, quite frankly, our students and parents are going to step up to the opportunity. So with that, I know that there are some questions on the part of the board. Um, and I, I welcome any of them. I do want to make a note that uh, on the draft copy that the board was given of our, of our reopening plan, stage A, and this is entirely my fault, um, stage A did not include the 100% um, online as a possibility. It's, it's listed under B, C, and D, but that was my mistake. Obviously, the 100% online is available as soon as school starts to any student who feels the need, regardless of 
any county phases or any stage that we're in for reopening or anything else. So with that, I've, I've managed to talk for a good 15 minutes and quite frankly, I, I would love to hear from, from the board. Well, I have a quick question. Um, what I, I was looking on the school calendar and I couldn't identify the end of the first quarter. I do not have the calendar in front of me, but it typically is after the first nine weeks of school. So usually we're looking at the second, second to last or last week in October as the, the last day of the quarter. Okay. No, I, I missed the governor's little uh, announcement today or his thing. So I, I'm not really sure what the high points were or changes. No changes. No real changes. I think the biggest takeaway from it from, from uh, school administration standpoint was up until this point, we had no real definition of what were any differentiations that the Department of Health was gonna use when they were making their recommendations to county schools. And they were able to come, come forward and actually give us some of that. Um, and like I said, 75 is the number um, Department of Health is aiming for to get to, to that, would, that would be that high activity cutoff point. Well, Governor Inslee did mention in the press conference that there were five um, counties that were at low risk. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to keep our eyes on those districts that are ahead of us um, in the um, reducing transmission, see what mm -hmm. their decisions are, and then see, you know, if any of them do start that hybrid model, um, how it impacts their community. Yeah. Absolutely, um, and uh, even though I did I did notice who those counties were, the only two that come to mind off the, off the top of my head are Wakayakum and San Juan Islands County, possibly Ferry County as well. What might have been one of them, um, and then there were two others, all with exceedingly small populations and all with small school districts that that are con considerably smaller than ours, quite frankly. Well, Peter, I'm really happy that we're going to be able to offer the 100% online um, curriculum for families that aren't interested in the, the virtual um, classroom or the hybrid learning. I, to me, that, that would appeal mostly to our families that have um, members who are in those high-risk categories with low immunity or um, just uh, more concerns. So I'm really happy to see that we're offering that. Um, I also um, think we need to make sure that that, and it looks like we're, we have a good plan for that started, that the virtual um, classroom will have some, a daily schedule and that'll be posted for parents. I'd like to see consistency in um, when classes are posting their assignments and when their assignments are due. So. Um, an example of that might be, um, you know, your math classes, your math teacher is going to post um, your assignments on Monday and they're going to be due um, the next Tuesday or, you know, the following week. So parents know when to expect to see the assignments and, and when they're due and those are consistent. Um, or maybe it would be periods one, two, and three post on Wednesday and then are due on another a day. I just think it's really important that we have that consistency for our families because it's going to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine um, families with two or three kids and trying to keep track of this and working and um, we just need to provide as much support as we can for them. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and just a, just a note, I, <clears throat> I managed in the matter of um, 
in a matter of about a 20 minute period the other day um, to get phone calls from three new, new to the district, new enrolling kindergarten parents, as well as two others. Um, I know that'll make Ruby happy. Um, one of the keys for them, and I think that our, our, our community falls as much into this realm as any, if not more than some of our surrounding communities. We have families where there are um, multiple parents at work. Um, so we don't have the luxury that some of our neighbors do of being primarily a, a one income family with another parent who's at home or even a family that is able to, to go back and forth. So um, our ability to provide some asynchronous, meaning one way, um, opportunities for parents and kids to be watching lessons um, outside of the traditional school day will be very important. Um, again, if both parents are working, we have a student at daycare, they get home at four, maybe five o'clock. Um, in many cases, they're gonna miss some opportunities potentially um, for many of the days of the week, at least, to be online in an active participatory role. So our ability to do that, I think, is going to uh, be paramount. And I should note that, you know, many of our staff and many of our administrators last spring uh, were able to get some professional development around uh, shifting classrooms and shifting schools into these type of distance learning scenarios. And uh, the remainder of our staff that are able to are going through some of that right now. So we're, we're investing heavily in trying to um, try and get those students take or get, get those parents the opportunity to see a shifted classroom and showing our staff how the best way to do that is going to be. Um, it's very good training and I can say that as I went through it myself. My other um, concern or just, I just want to stress that, you know, our paraprofessionals are just vital in our classrooms and I want to make sure, you know, for our students that um, they're receiving their support as well. Um, I know you have details to work out. Um, everyone's job is changing and shifting with um, due to the pandemic. But you know, I foresee just a real potential for the, our paraprofessionals to um, be working during that, that synchronous time with the teacher, listening to the lesson, help monitor the chat, um, and then also maybe have some office hours um, where they could be available if a student needed some extra help. So anyway, I know that's, um, I just wanted to mention it because I just think our families need as much support as they can get. No, and we, of course, we've got a, a good portion of, of our classified staff that uh, has been highly trained working with students who are on IEPs, students who are second language learners, students who are um, of various categories. Um, we have teachers in the same boat, so we want to make sure that whatever situations that we're able to come up with where more support is needed, we have trained staff ready to go and implement into a, uh, a process to get uh, kids help that they need. Um, and our classified staff is going to be at the heart of that. Do we have an idea what a family could expect um, for the amount of screen time or synchronous learning time um, a day, you know, for all of their classes? And it'll probably depend on the grade level, but, um, you know, I, I don't think a, a student can sit for more than two to three hours, you know, in a Zoom meeting. <laughs> that, that's pretty exhausting. So um, anyway. I would want to give our families um, some idea. Yeah, and that's I think something that's going to to rest not simply well, within my purview. Certainly, that's gonna that's gonna be dependent on grade level. It's gonna be dependent on subject area. It's gonna be dependent on level of subject area, especially at the high school. But I I did hear from Superintendent Reichdahl something that was fairly interesting because it has been an 
of course, an internet rumor that you know schools as they move to this model are going to require eight hours of online existence on the part of the students. And it's I was extremely glad that it was finally publicly said by someone well up the food chain that that's simply not true. Um, you know, it, it's going to be determined on what's best for the student as an individual, as a classroom, at their level. There's a lot of factors to take into it. Quite frankly, um, I get rummy myself if I'm in Zooms for more than four or five hours a day. Good Lord. And we've been doing it for a while. So I don't see any realistic way that that if we're talking three to four hours at the maximum of actual personal interaction, I think you'd be at the at the high end of what we can expect and still be able to get some some good interactions going. Um, and there are ways that, that our teachers are gonna learn or have learned and are learning through professional development on how to do that effectively. Um, but no, there's, there's no parent in our system and God help us any system if we had control over it that should ever think that their kids are gonna have to spend that much time online. Um, again, that's something also that's, that's a great uh, reinforcer of the idea of asynchronous video is that that also can allow us allow a student to press pause and you know get up take a break walk away get a sandwich whatever they need to do um, and go back and the teachers in exactly the same spot as where they left off and, and I know you know as I as I look around the <clears throat> look around the participants and everything this is not going to apply to all of our students. We know for a fact we have students who will not get nearly enough from any type of an online opportunity. And those are the kids that we're going to have to have to meet on as individuals and we're going to have to set up programming for them that looks different. Um, simply because their needs are different. And uh, a long time ago, you know, we, we said we're going to make decisions based on needs of kids not uh, not needs of administrators or adults. So um, that's got to be our guiding influence on this. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that that I have uh, I've read in several of of my zoom meetings is that, you know, we're going to reinforce relationships above rigor. Um, your teachers, your paras, your any staff member from me down to anybody else who's a substitute teacher kids are going to remember who you are and how you said it not just what you said so it's those relationships that i think are going to be at the forefront of how we get things done um so when we are able to move to that stage b the hybrid um model. Um, I guess my, as I read through the plan, my one question was, I just kind of want, I'm pretty sure it's this way, but students would be in a, like a cohort, a, um, a group of classmates, and they would stay in that cohort when they attended school. So they would be going to school for two days a week with the same classmates. And then we'd have a different cohort and they would be coming on two other days a week, is that correct? Yeah, and, and one of the things that I should have included in that, just because I've gotten so used to it is, that's all dependent on, on one very simple fact. The state is mandating social distancing as, as a requirement for in-person learning. As long as we have a six foot rule, we can't fit everybody in at one time. Um, that's not an opinion. That's not a would we, should we, could we. It's a there's just simply not enough room to stuff all the kids in and put six feet between everybody. So when we talk about a hybrid model like that, where we're having to do a cohort system, the long answer to your question, Julie, is simply yes. We would want the same kids coming in with the same schedules. And there certainly is no predetermined idea of what that may look like. Um, whenever those topics have come up, both within our district or within conversations that I'm having with other superintendents, you know, we're a community that is, is very much split from the standpoint of a, a group of students who are within our walking distance and a group of students who not only aren't within our walking distance, but are way outside of our walking distance. 
So I think one of our tenants when the discussion gets to that point is we need to keep our families together. Meaning at the point when we begin to look at bringing our kids back, uh, the last thing we wanna do is bring a family back with a middle schooler on Mondays and Tuesdays and a third grader on you know, Thursdays and Fridays. That just doesn't make any sense. So we're really trying to attack this on a, on a common sense, what's good for kids, what's good for the family standpoint, um, because you know, the educators in the room and, and the people for the most part, you know, we can, we can dodge and weave as we need to, to make sure that what we're doing is best for the families. Has there been any thought to how we're going to track how, how the students are doing? Because, you know, this is obviously something that's uh, completely different. Um, just from, from my own personal experience, uh, my daughter took uh, online geometry and that did not work. Did not mm -hmm. work. You need, there's, there's, certain, there's certain subjects and, and they go all across the board that you have to have that teacher interaction because if you don't have it, they, they, you just can't learn. You're learning on your own and that's not what we're doing in school. We're not trying to get our students to learn by themselves because that, that doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for very many people. So um, how are we kind of a tracking system? Because I want, I want part of the, or part of this is, you know, how do we, how do we notify the, um, OSPI, you know, how, how well this is working for us. Because if we're failing our students, if our students aren't gaining anything out of this, we shouldn't be wasting money. Okay. Um, we, 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 and, and when do we make a change? Um, how, how long do we go along um, doing this? It, what, what do we have a plan put together to kind of track how the students are doing? as a whole, but also I think we need to track individually uh, every student. And I know that's a, a huge burden on the, on the teachers who are trying to figure out you know, what they're going to do for, for this online learning. Shooting in the dark. Yeah. And Clark, I, I'm just going to give you a heads up. You were, you were pretty spotty on your audio there. Um, what, what I took from what you're questioning and was really fundamentally came down to, um, how are we going to, how are we going to ensure, um, assessment of learning is occurring and how are we going to assure that communication then is getting to the students and the parents? Um, and certainly there's probably more in there that I missed, but um, I think whatever, whatever system we're on, and, and I don't think that this is relative to simply our online, uh, online discussions. You know, communication with students and families has always been uh, a high stated need for us as a district, for most any district, and it's something we can constantly improve. Um, I have zero doubts that any of our teachers can, can do informal assessments at any time and, and certainly within the scope of the teaching of a lesson, they can, they can understand by the look on a face or anything else whether or not a kid is getting their information. This, this is going to be a tougher situation and one of the things that, that I have had discussions with uh, our Director of Technology, David Rodriguez, is that you know, we have some tools that we currently pay for, um, both within our Skyward online system, as well as, as some other systems that, quite frankly, we don't utilize to the best of our ability. And uh, whether it's automatic text systems, automatic emails uh, with assessment updates, which are all possible, um, right now, we simply, we haven't used them. We haven't turned them on. We haven't pressed the button, so to speak. You know, there are some things that we can utilize that we have at our, at our fingertips that we can do some of that in and try and automate it. That's going to be a, it's going to be a learning lesson for students and families. Uh, it's going to be a learning lesson for teachers and for everybody. But certainly it's, it's got to be at the, at the top of the list as far as things that we want to make sure are done well. 
Um, again, that's all that's inclusive when we're talking about positive relationships with families and students, that ongoing ability to communicate where your students at, how they're doing, why things are going the way they are, have to be at the forefront. A part of my concern is that um, we're, we're being um, kind of forced down a road and ESD 123 and OSPI, what are they doing to evaluate how what we're doing is working? Because they're the ones that are telling us what we can and cannot do. You're right. We're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to be able to do it locally, but this is all being put down from, from on top. So what are they doing to make sure that we are doing what, what the best possible scenario for the students? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm concerned about. Like I said, I, I, I think you need to be, you know, have that interaction with your teacher or it just, it just doesn't work. No, and, and thank you for the clarification on that. And I have, I have zero problem in saying that, uh, you know, up to this point, OSPI, ESD, the state, quote unquote, has given us exactly zero in the way of how we're going to be monitored um, as a success or a failure under a system like it, like this. Um, the only consistent language that is consistently used is the term um, engagement of students on a daily basis, which then for what their, their worldview is, that takes into account what they consider to be attendance because how, how have schools always been been judged at least from the the higher up standpoint um i would argue what they're doing in school is just as important and for that particular item we don't have any any metrics or any any form of accountability other than us being able to have professional discussions with professional teachers and professional principals and say, is this working? Are we reaching a, a high enough number of our kids through this model that um, it will certainly never be able to replace uh, in person, but are we giving it the, the good college try, so to speak? Is it is it doing most of what we're intending to do? Um, and then they're going to trust our judgment on that aspect, but uh, where they're really gonna come snooping is gonna be around the areas of, you know, how do you know that your kids are engaged in the learning? How do you know um, that they're not sitting at home playing video games? How do you know that, that your, your folks are reaching them? And those are some of the things that we're gonna have to come up with or some of the things that I think we can make easier from things we have now. We're going to have to have that two-way conversation with them because they it's it's that simple and if things aren't working for us we have to be able to say to them this isn't working and we don't want to lose this year for our kids. And that's what it will, that's what we're in danger of, of becoming is, is that loss of the year. I think that in quite frankly, it's a, it's a better um, option for us is, you know, we have a direct line via the ESD superintendent to OSPI and to a governor's education liaison you know, when we have our, our twice a week uh, regional meetings as superintendents, one of the questions that Superintendent Weisner always asks us is, is there anything going on that you need relayed to the superintendent of public instruction and to the governor's office about needs, wants, desires, things that are going well, things that aren't, what can he do to support the districts in the region? And I think that's going to be much more likely that if we're we, and quite frankly, any other school district in the area discovers that there's some potholes that we didn't anticipate and no one else did either. That's gonna be the fastest way to get it to Superintendent Reichdahl's uh, plate is to, to pass that on to Superintendent Weisner and have him move up the food chain as quickly as possible.
considering the uh, uh, things come down from from up above so far, I'm concerned. I don't know. I don't know that that our educational organization at the state level is doing what we need them to do. Oh, Clark, I, I think you're being generous there. I don't have any doubts that there's there's not the organizational system in place for this type of entailing. Um, even given the, the couple of months notice that we've had that, that we're gonna start working on a plan, it, we're talking about a fundamental shift in how business is done. And I, as much as I would love to say, yeah, it's, you know, Kybe school districts under the gun and boy, we're, we're facing these problems. We're facing a problem, the same problems that probably 280 out of 295 other districts are facing. Um, I, I guess it's a collective, <laughs> collective suffering that we're going through from the standpoint of, uh, regardless of the size of the district, I have conversations with the superintendent in Starbuck with 22 kids. It's many of the same topics as the superintendent in Kennewick with 17,000. Um, we're all facing some of the same difficulties, um, just at varying levels of uh, system awareness. I see other districts looking at using their buses to deliver food or um, take materials to families. Um, is that something we can look into as well? Yes, as a matter of fact, it was a it was a topic today from the standpoint of, and this now we're taking a little bit of a bird walk, but it is absolutely related to this because the way that our transportation is funded by the state of Washington, is based entirely on uh, percentage of riders, meaning how many kids are we transporting? So when we're in this type of a model, obviously that, that same formula is problematic at best. And of course they're based on a three year average. So if you think about this from the standpoint of we didn't have ridership uh, on our buses from March 17th on, um, other districts have come to the conclusion they've got to make a legislative change in order to impact that because that's a state law, that formula. So one of the things that we're going to be doing in the short term is, are we going to provide meals for our kids who need them? Yes. If we have to run a van or a bus to get them out to where they need to be, that's not a problem in the short term. In the long term, if we have to do that continuously with zero funding from the state for transportation, it would turn into a problem. Um, but that's something I think it's going to be quite evident. Um, again, Superintendent Weisner at the ESD has penned a letter um, that he's asking for superintendents in the in the 27 school districts in the region to sign off on, which is a letter to Governor Inslee as well as our state caucus leaders uh, asking them for re-examination of the transportation formula so that this doesn't become that huge impact, which it could in a matter of months. So it's definitely, the ball is rolling on that while the wheels may not be, um, but the ball's rolling on that and, and we're gonna have to make some, some allowances because we simply don't have the ability to subsidize um, a transportation uh, program with the size of a district from a transportation standpoint, the size of the the size of the district and the number of miles that we put on buses. I guess just the last thing I'd, I'd like to um, stress would be, you know, our students with IEPs, um, students with special needs, you know, that are really in those at-risk groups that need the one-on-one -on -one instruction. Um, I realize we can't start the school year with that, um, but I'd like to offer it <laughs> just as soon as we're able to Absolutely. Um, and start bringing in those small groups of students. Um, I just like that to happen as soon as possible. Yeah, and, and like I said, for many of our, our students who have those special needs, that's gonna, that's gonna require us to get a meeting whether it's uh, live in person, if we can keep it to five or less, or you know, 
partial via Zoom and in person um, because those are many of those kids are going to be individual determinations on what best suits them and what best suits their needs. And quite frankly, we're going to have to be able to bend a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that this entire situation has taught me is um, there's no black and white in this particular realm anymore. There's a lot of gray area and we have to get used to it. Um, because um, th those lines are getting blurred a little bit. And uh, if we have to make some allowances to make sure that kids get the best opportunities for an education, then you know it's something we're gonna have to do. Um, and, and as with, with many districts, I mean, we're on this particular forefront with, you know, I'm not talking about in-person education, but as far as online goes, um, we have to make sure and do it right. Um, we are not the only game in town, so to speak. So we want to make sure that what we're doing meets the needs of all of our kids across the board, period. You know, Pete, I just to speak up, I, I'm one of those persons who thinks that maybe we could just go to school now and get everybody going. And, you know, there's, there's groups that say that the most healthy thing is just to get the kids in schools and deal with it there. Um, yep. But I don't see us uh, messing with stage B. I think we should get into stage C as soon as we can that, you know, as soon as anybody will let us, let's get back to school and uh, deal with it. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to have to interact with our kids with each class, especially the K through 12s that have, six subjects and six teachers, they're gonna to have to find a way to interact with our kids. Um, and maybe not the electives so much, but uh, definitely the, you know, the main classes that are our credit classes they need to graduate. No, absolutely. Heck, Dale, if, if Governor Inslee called me tomorrow at eight o'clock and said, hey Pete, by the way, we got a vaccine, you're going back to school as normal, that would be the best thing ever. Um, you know, I, I've said a few times, our goal, uh, at the forefront of everything is to get back to school in real terms. Um, we want to be in class, in person with students, the whole nine yards. Um, until we get the okay to do that, the simple, simplest answer for me is we're going to play by the rules that we're giving and do the best job we can within those lines. Um, but I'm in a complete agreement with you. We're, we're, we want to and need to get back to regular schooling as fast as humanly possible. Teddy, it's your turn. So just to piggyback a little bit on what Clark said about, you know, how important it is for students to receive um, that interaction with the teacher instead of um, just all 100% online. Mm -hmm. um, um, classroom model, we will have that um, synchronous time, whether I think we're using the Microsoft Teams Correct. to provide that. Um, so. You know, when we survey our families or when we ask them, to, you know, to let us know which program they prefer or they'd like to sign their children up for, I think it would be important to, um, within that information or that question that we send out to them, make sure they understand that in that virtual classroom, they will get that extra support of the teacher meeting um, in real time, you know, in a like a video conference format as well as the asynchronous but with the online 100 online option they wouldn't have that correct it wouldn't be am i understanding that right uh they wouldn't have it to the same extent but um and you're kind of we're getting in the weeds a little bit but it's okay i mean we still have a state mandated minimum FaceTime, even under 100% online, we have to meet with a student at least 30 minutes a month. Um, 
just to, if, if nothing else, to get a feel for how they're doing and how they're feeling. Um, that's, that's an entirely, you know, it's almost inconsequential, quite frankly, for, for 30 minutes of time. But, um, you know, I think the most important thing for us is that, you know, we're so used to school, you hear a bell at eight o'clock and you hear a bell at 11.30, and you hear a bell at 12, and then you hear a bell at 2.30, for instance. And those are the things that define your school day. And quite frankly, I don't know that we're, we're at that point anymore. Um, you know, we have to be able to empathize with, you know, the multi-income family that's got multiple people at work and you know what, it may be better to be able to spend an hour online with a, with a student at four o'clock in the afternoon. That's not because they're right or wrong or we're right or wrong. It's simply, it's life. It's what's, what's needing to happen. Um, and we'll have lots of those discussions because it doesn't have to be everybody and it doesn't have to be everybody to everything. But certainly we need to have some people who, you know what, if we do have to have to meet with somebody, you know, if I have to get up and go meet with, with a kid at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, uh, because no one else is available, that's what we're going to need to do. And trust me, I'm not trying to take anybody's job by saying that, but, um, it's just, a, it's a fact, you know, we're going to have to bend on uh, what we're used to. And then like Clark said, when something's not working, by God, the, the days of us just doing stuff to do it, even if it's not working, has to end. Um, we have to be able to roll with the punches and, and do the right thing, even if it's not normal. But sometimes the right thing is still the right thing. Well, I can tell you as the parents of two slackers, if there's not a requirement that they're there at 8 o'clock in the morning, they're not going to be there. And, yeah. uh, you know, if I can't say, hey, that teacher is going to be there for you. You better be there, or else, then you know there. There's got to be some kind of discipline in it enough that encourages kids to be there when they need to be. Yep. No, I I agree. I put three boys through schools in the same way. I understand what you're saying. So uh, I I'd like to uh kind of summarize where we're at. So on the 31st of August, we're going to have uh, options. Is that it? The parents are going to be able to choose between virtual with teachers or 100% online. And uh, at least at the K through 12 and K through five will be 100% online. Um, I'm just trying to throw out what how I understand. And there won't be any kids, whether they're IEP or not, going to school to begin with. Yeah, I'm trying to follow up their understanding. I don't know if I got it all in my head yet. Yeah, no, I, I guess I, I'll just repeat what I think I heard is just that, you know, as of the 31st, in a distance learning model, which is what we have and what I'm recommending, you know, all of our students are going to be getting their educational opportunity via a virtual KBSD curriculum and teacher in a blended model of our teacher, our curriculum, synchronous video, asynchronous, or 100% online model, um, which is going to be primarily online with still some virtual, quote unquote, by email or even Zoom uh, with a specific staff member for that 100% online opportunity. Um, and Dale, I guess I, I wanna, do wanna temper uh, the idea that no kid is ever coming on day one simply because I, I never like to deal in absolutes because um, I have been parts of, of places where a kid has moved into a district three days before school started and they have a very specific need and it's it's a legal requirement that we meet that need. So in some cases, things like that happen. I would say as a general rule, we're not gonna start off any in-person activities until we can make sure that we have 
the health safety of all students and all staff taken care of first and then make any adjustments, but only through, in this particular case, it has to go through approval of the Department of Health in Benton and Franklin County. Yeah, that matches what I was expecting you to say. Okay. So Kate, I guess the only other thing I'd like to add, I think I've said that more than once, <laughs> is, um, you know, we're making this decision through um, the first quarter, um, but I think the board should revisit it, you know, obviously prior to the first quarter. So we would be looking oh, yeah. at this at a minimum of, you know, a couple weeks to a month ahead, right? So we... Yeah, I guess where, where I'm, from the standpoint of the board getting an update on county health statistics, getting an update on how our kids are doing, that should be a regular part of all of our board meetings. There's no question about that. I guess what I'm trying to do is alleviate, if I'm a seventh grade English teacher in the middle of September, I don't wanna be thinking about in two weeks, am I gonna be at home? Am I gonna be online? Am I gonna be, you know, where am I gonna be? Um, whatever the plans are specifically that we come up with, once they're disseminated, everybody's getting as much training as we can possibly squeeze in. Um, then they have a solid understanding that short of a full return to school or a movement by the county out of a phase up to a higher phase, um, that they don't have to worry about that. That a parent doesn't have to worry about next week is my kid going to be, you know, doing reading in second grade at the same time. Yes. For the first quarter, this is going to be the schedule. This is going to be where we're at. Um, you know, but as far as the board goes, and of course, anybody who wishes to come to a board meeting, you know, you can get those, we can have those updates on a, you know, a bi-weekly basis for our two meetings per month. I guess with a, uh, my last note on that topic is just, with the lack of continuity that all of us have been through in the last, well, since March 17th, any ability for us to give any of our students and staff and parents an idea of, well, hell, at least for eight weeks, things are gonna stay the same. I think that it goes a little bit of a ways. Yeah, it's one of the criticisms I've heard of other districts' plans is, um, you know, it's only for a month and families will need time to adjust. And I know myself as a teacher, just to know um, what I'm expected to do. It, it just yeah. um, helps me focus, helps me prepare better lessons. And so um, I wanna give that to our staff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so you delivered this document to us as a draft. And uh, are we going to take action tonight to approve it? Because it's still a draft mm -hmm. and I, I don't, you don't know what, what we would approve. Well, Dale, I guess what I'm asking for again, and this goes back to some questions that came up uh, from quite frankly, several of the board members over the past month or two, is just making sure that when we, when we have an idea, when we know not necessarily every little bell and whistle, but when we know what we're going to plan from a larger standpoint, from a 30,000 foot view, we need to be able to get that information out to families and out to the community. And so my whole point in, in calling for this meeting on short notice on Monday was that given your approval, um, this will allow me tomorrow to put out communication to our families, to our parents, to the to the media, if, if uh, some folks here don't meet me to it, just to say, we are going to a, a distance learning model to start the year. And we're gonna be in a distance learning model unless things improve. We're gonna be in a distance learning model for the first quarter of the school year, which is the first nine weeks. And I think just being able to say that to some folks um, it's going to help a lot. Um, you know, gosh, I can at least plan on through the, through Halloween or so that we're we we've got a plan in place and we know what we're doing, and then we start dealing with the nitty gritty of you know, I, I 
I don't envy some of the conversations that we're going to have to have uh, as buildings, as grade levels, as teams, as everything else, because, um, you know, there are going to be times when, you know, everybody's got their favorite novel or their favorite uh, play. If you're an old high school English teacher like I am, uh, some, sometimes you might have to give that up um, in the interest of what's best for, you know, all the kids in the team. So I simply want to be able to say, as a result of this meeting tonight, the board has decided to approve a draft plan and allow the superintendent to move forward with communication, with expansion of that plan, with uh, more specificity, as well as submit to OS OSPI that rather technical document that I also sent you guys, it was like 10 or 12 pages long. Um, Again, it's a very fluid document as is our reopening plan. That's the, the only saving grace of any of this is the fact that OSPI has said, you know, we want this to be fluid. All you have to do is just keep us informed of what you're doing. So um, as you know, some school districts for instance, um, have made some news because by God, they're going this way or that way. And you know, you heard it here first, many of those districts are gonna have a little bit of a, a some rethinking on that as of Friday. So, um, you know, at least for the ESD 123 region, we're all in this together. And I wanna be able to tell our community and folks as fast as we can that this is where we're going and there's gonna be a lot more information coming. And then to Clark's point, work on detail by detail of that communication plan to make sure that anybody who wants that communication could be part of it. Yeah, I think it's important to get this out to our families as soon as we can. Um, I, I really do want them to know that they're going to have those two options, you know, the virtual classroom or the 100% online. Yep. And I think as the sooner we can do that, that's just going to help our enrollment, help our families make their decisions. Yep. And, um, okay, well, then the board will entertain a motion to go forward with the uh, online learning uh, with directing Mr. Peterson to organize it as he sees fit for now. Um, we will readdress it on the next board meeting, of course, and see where we're at. And then be able to communicate to the parents as quickly as possible and as succinctly to po as possible and to the teachers. Do I hear I a motion? I move to approve the reopening plan for 2020 to 2021 school year. I'll second the motion. Okay, it's been moved. Moved and seconded. Uh, we'll start, uh, Teddy. Aye. Julie? Aye. Clark? Aye. And I for myself. So the motion has been brought forward and passed, and we'll go forward with that. Uh, any other closing statements, Mr. Peterson? No, I, I certainly want to, uh, I want to at least acknowledge and I feel it's important to acknowledge um, there isn't a staff member that we have, there isn't a parent that has a kid in our system right now that ever expected to have to go forward in this type of a matter to get an education. And I certainly know of no principals, I know of no teachers who ever signed up for or took a class when they were in prep school to how to deliver online curriculum or anything like that. Um, so while none of us may have gotten into it for these reasons or to deal with this stuff, I know for a fact that the people that we have in our district from every secretary to para to custodian, certified staff, classified staff to administrator, um, we're all learning as we're going, but we're learning with the best intentions. Um, and there's, there's no doubt in my mind that when this group of employees and, and educators and community, quite frankly, um, 
when we set our mind to something that we're going to do the best we can, we're going to do the best we can. And uh, I have no doubts that uh, we're going to face roadblocks and we're going to stumble. And I can tell you the number of mistakes that I will make will probably require me to take off my shoes to count that high. Um, not just my 10 fingers, but need my toes too. Um, but always with the intention of we're going to do what's right for kids. That's the bottom line. And I, I trust this group to be able to do that. And I, th I think the board has, um, has reiterated some good points. And uh, I, would, I would thank you for your action tonight that's going to allow us to move forward in a lot of different areas. So if you need to get a hold of me, by all means, call my cell phone. Okay, well, I uh, want to remind all those in attendance that we do have another regular board meeting next Monday. And uh, if you want to ask a question, make a statement or comment, uh, please email it to Heidi and we will entertain it at the board meeting then. Um, otherwise, I consider this meeting adjourned. <laughs>